met Dave Lee at Cardamon 94 across from Old Gildall to talk about the city of culture, the real culture of the city, restaurant reviews and a little bit of politics. Nice, um, this is what this is, it's, this, this is, um, it's an office block, yeah. Mal Scott who owns it, Mal used to, he's retired now, but he used to own, he was, to, he was an estate agent, he owned several big buildings in the city centre, and he used to get businesses in, and then this place, when it was empty once, he lent it to a local theatre group called Ensemble 52, yeah. and they put a play on in the office block, about life in office blocks, and you walked from one room to another, and they put, I think, three different plays on it in three different rooms and it gave the man the idea to turn this into a, into a cultural centre yeah. so this is a cafe bar next door's the theatre and the show films they have bands on all sorts real nice and comfy yeah. seats about 90 and then upstairs there's rehearsal rooms uh, edit suites all that kind of stuff so he's, he's turned it into like a little cultural hub in the city centre it's fantastic yeah so you know it's, it's I mean I was just thinking earlier on because I've, I've been all like quite a few times but I've only ever been in and out. I've been for like football quite yeah, a lot. Yeah. I've been for fights a lot. Yeah. And you know, so I've been at deep with kids. Yeah. And this is like really the first time I've been in city. So I've been once before. I had I had some like uh, dodgy fight negotiations to do. Right. And I had to like sort of I had to like go and uh, they were away in on at the guild hall, and I had to turn up early with a smart suit on so I could get past all the security. <laughs> And just like, you know, like when you're kind of a bloke at a certain age and you've got a tie on and you can just like, the security see you and you just like have a stiff back and you just nod at them and yeah, they, yeah. they just wave you in. And I like sort of tried to, I was negotiating on behalf of somebody else, but nothing come right in end. And I don't think I'd be allowed to talk about it, but, no, but it does, this is the like only it, time. It, it's, one of the, it's one of the problems we're having all really is, is, um, People come and they leave and they don't really see enough of it. Particularly if you're driving. If you're driving either off the ferry or from kind of the M62, you kind of drive past a lot of grey boxes and then you end up in the middle of all. And people think the middle of all is, is Princess Keys, the shopping centre, and the marina, and that's it. Yeah. That's actually just the start of it, you know. And so some people can come right into the town centre and out and just think holds a lot of mm. industrial grey boxes. The real cultural, the real culture happens in the city. Up the avenues, which is half a mile north, yeah. northwest of here, which is there's several very long uh, tree-lined avenues, and that's where all the kind of cultural people live for the most part. And mm-hmm. um, that, I mean, if you, if there's a long social economic history of Hull, but I mean, the, the basics is like a lot of town centres. You know, there were slum clearances in the 70s, 60s and 70s when they cleared out Esla Road, which is the main fishing community. Yeah. They moved all the people from Esla Road up to Bransom and Orchard Park, which is like a new build estate with no pubs and no shops and all that kind of stuff. Mm. The usual kind of yeah. nightmare thing that happened in the 60s. And also because the city centre was bombed really heavily in the Second World War, it was all beautiful. It was all like the Gildall. And if you walk around this bit, you'll see it was all like that. You know, the old photos of it are incredible. And we lost something like 90% of the buildings in the Second World War. Mm. And they didn't really build any houses when they rebuilt. Everything tended to be built a bit cheaper and without any real... So nobody really lives in the city centre anymore. Yeah. So there's no life in the nighttime economy. So what they tried to do with City of Culture was... Um, one of the remits was to bring life back into the nighttime economy. That was kind of the idea. So a lot of venues and stuff... <laughs> a lot of venues and stuff have, have sprung up 
mm. um, in the city centre. But it's kind of moving back out to the avenues again already. Yeah. Um, it's weird the way it's gone in the past few years. It's great for the most yeah. part. Um, but it's, it's weird the way it's been swinging around the past Cause, few years. Because as an outsider, one thing I'd like, associate like modern old way is uh, like the university. You know, it's yeah. got like a pretty good name. And like, I, you know, Sheffield, like, which I know very well, is like, you know, just the student industry is the biggest industry in town. And if you go to places like Uddersfield, you yeah. know, it's just like, student city yeah, yeah. whereas like walking around here I mean like admittedly I've only been here for about an hour you know but walking around there isn't the same kind of signs of student life in no city if you centre. go to the university the university is fantastic big campus and getting bigger all the time a very good university and, and it's right at the top on the north end of the avenues so the students have got the accommodation next door because the university has bought many of the surrounding streets and let them out to students and then below that is the avenues, and, and the avenues are all served. There's, like I said, there's these big, long avenues, and then there's ones that cross them. There's Prinny Ave and Newland Ave, and they're full of your pubs and eateries, and that's where you'll find the student life. So the student life here is decentralised, um, and people tend to only come into town. There's the drinking circuit, there's the, like yeah. the, the sticky carpet lager brigade, they're always <laughs> going to be there. But the people only tend, really tend to come into the town centre when there's events on, so to come yeah. and see something here or another venue then that's when they come into the town centre, which is, watch 2017 kind of, and, and subsequently the company that's taken it over. Am I allowed to swear, by the way? No, God, yeah, please. Um, the, the, the company that's taken it over called Absolutely Cultured, although everybody who refers to them as Absolutely Cultured. Um, they've <laughs> kind of taken on the remit of big, single tourist events. Yeah. And that, you know, the whole thing with City Culture Cards, Brian will tell you the same, that caused a big rift between the, the city culture people and the artistic and cultural community yeah. in the city because basically got ignored in favour of big incoming events mm. and and that's so what seems to be at the minute is, is what's working is a lot of venues and places opened to, to kind of cash in on city culture yeah. unfortunately there isn't the, the events in the city centre to sustain the nighttime economy at the minute yeah. so it still drops off and absolutely cunted have taken on the role and they're just doing what 2017 did, which was put on big flagpole events, yeah. tentpole events, on it. Yeah. But it's like, I mean, I, I didn't come to out. Like, when City of Culture were on, mm. I kept looking about like what's come. I nearly come to see that, I don't know where it was, that great big thing, what they had, that like, it were a big long metal the thing. The Blade. Yeah, right. I was going to come and see that, but I didn't realise it had a limited time span. Yeah, yeah, right. it was there forever, yeah. I thought, yeah, I, thought, I, I did think it was there forever. I remember, like, sort of the word... You were in the naked thing, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, I was still... The poster I've got on my, the, the wall in my house, I was stood there next to that lamppost. Yeah. Um, that's actually where the, all, the one that's become, like, the popular image of it. There's about five, six images, but the one that's the most popular, I'm literally stood over there, about 30 yards away. Mm. I, I can see me. I've got it, all up, <laughs> I've got it framed and up in my in house, and then there's a piece of string hung down with a magnifying glass. Anybody try and find me in the pitch? Yeah. I was in was it page seven or something of the Guardian and we cock out. <laughs> I didn't know about it until my cousin put a photograph up on Facebook saying, Isn't that our Neil? And when somebody went, Fuck Neil, that's our David. I'm stood there like Bollico in the Guardian. Now the hell are we doing? Good to see you, mate. How's things? Good to see you. I ain't seen you since you've had your turn. How are you healing? Right, this is big. This is Mal. Mal owns the place. All right, mate. How are you healing, man? I hope you're doing well, are you? Yeah, yeah. 
Good, I'm pleased to wear it. Lovely. So that's uh, all well and good. Yeah, it's great. I've just been and a look at John Rowley's thing next door. It's great, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, I love it. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah I couldn't make it. I wish I could. I ain't seen John for quite a while now. So yeah. Was he on good form? Uh, well, I, I wasn't here. I, oh, right. I, I, I left everyone else to it. I heard it was a grand night, yeah. It was. It was. I've got a thing on, you know. I'm, I'm doing a thing with Heads Up, end of May. Exactly, yeah. End you know? May. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a player that's on for the night. Fantastic. So, um, I'll drop you some posters in and that. Yeah, yeah, I've got them done. We had finalised the date, yeah. Yeah, on social media. It's my first proper written down stage thing, so I'm quite Fantastic. pleased about it. Fantastic. Yeah. Oh, great. Good to see you. I knew it. Well, tell us about that. Well, no, it, it, what was it about? Was it about the. Um, yes, he was going to come. He was going to come the bollock naked. Yeah. The, the oh, well, you know what? I just kept looking at stuff, you know, like these big events. Ooh. But no, th- and like, I didn't really know why, what else were going off. Yeah. You know, because you, especially when you come in, you know, because it was going to be like a family day out. You don't want to just come for a big thing. You want to, like, you know, like have stuff going on around it and yeah. that. And I couldn't really see what else was happening. You know what? So well, I don't know if it were fairly That's interesting. The, web, the, web, the website was was heavily criticised as being not fit for purpose. Um, uh, but you could on the website you could go what's on today and it would list all the things that's on. Mm. Unfortunately, again, it's one of the arguments with Adler City Culture is they only put on stuff that they were putting on. Yeah. So they didn't. If somebody was if there was a band on around the corner or somebody was doing a poetry evening and they didn't have a finger in it, they yeah. didn't put it on their website. It's like you're meant to be promoting all culture in whole, not just your culture. So there was usually four or five things on at any one given time. So you could have gone to, there would have been a display on at Ferrens, there would have been another art display somewhere else, you could have gone to the Blade. There was, I think they overscheduled, you know, and and the woman who runs Absolutely Cunted, now she told me, I I will admit we overscheduled it. They had too much on. So it's interesting you couldn't find enough to do. But I suppose it's been an outsider, because it's like stuff, uh, it's like in Sheffield they have uh, tramlines every year, yeah. and that started as a, you know, a festival in city centre with summer on Dev Green and stuff around all different pubs, and then due to like, you know, size and like sort of different considerations, now it's ended up, it's moved out to Hillsborough Park, it's a ticket, you know, it's a proper festival now, we have fence around it, but, so people go there, but people from city and people round about know that still if on tramlines weekend you go in city centre there's like a tramlines fringe now yeah. and all pubs will have bands yeah, on yeah, and they've yeah. kind of kept it going independently yeah. as a whole thing whereas uh, because I'm like from round there I know that if I go down go downtown on a on tramlines on Friday Saturday then there's going to be stuff going off all over city whereas yeah, yeah. not being from all like I was looking and I was just seeing these big events and like you know sort of not really knowing about it it was another problem really you've got to without going into too much detail what finally led us to to get into your culture began around 20 years ago when people my kind of age and slightly above who'd never been part of the fishing industry but lived in all their entire life Kind of were like what? What we're going to do with ourselves? Because this is our city, yeah. and we've got to we've, we've got to live here. We've got to bring our kids up here. We've got to f- create a city that we like. And a, a few things started happening, which was the first serious thing that happened was a pub called Pave on Pretty Ave opened up, um, and it was two local lads. And it was the f- it sounds like a really small thing, but it was the first cool bar bistro pub type place 
that opened up and was independent. You know, it was, yeah. wasn't part of the cha- any chains. It wasn't shit, clicky pump lager. It was decent booze and food, and run by two local lads in a, in, a, in like the, the upcoming area of the city. Within six months of that place opening, four or five opened up yeah. the street, and suddenly people are, and they were all independent. People were coming out of the city centre and coming into these places, and they were full every night and buzzing, and it brought people together, and you made new friendships, and a, and a kind of artistic group grew out of that because you'd have somewhere to plan and meet yeah, and all that kind of stuff. And it was there, there were, that was the seeds of, of things that move, you know, moved us towards city culture. People started forming little theatre groups and poetry societies and all this kind of stuff. And then eventually, it was actually the university, the Larkin Society, the, the university decided to do Larkin 25, which was 25 years after yeah. Philip Larkin had died. They did a year of things. I made a film for it. Some other people did all sorts of things. There was loads of things. Yeah. Um, and that... When they put all the toads on the city, the, the, the family yeah, toads on yeah. the city, and that was a real turning point. That was when it was kind of like bloody hell, we can do this, because the city, the city council pulled out their support right at the last minute with the toads and said we're not funding them. There was this saying going around, toads not roads not toads. Like, what we're paying for toads for roads not toads. Like you've, all right, you've managed to get yourself a fucking clever little fucking saying, you idiots. Um, and, um, and fair play to the Latin side of the university. There's some fucking we do without them. We'll find yeah. the money from businesses. We'll, we'll get everyone can sponsor a tour, <laughs> and they put it on and it worked. And the, and that was the first time we'd had any global publicity for a long time. And and suddenly everyone kind of went, "Can on, we can do this?" You know, we, we have within this city the power and the skill and the and the confidence to do something like that that gets big interest and succeed. Yeah. And it was immediately off the back of that when launched the city culture bid, which was kind of unknown territory because there'd only ever been one before all. Yeah, there'd only been Derry. We're, Derry, yeah. London, Derry. Okay. That was well, the only one. Liverpool were a different no, thing No, that that's European city culture. Okay. Where right. UK city culture. All right. Um, and so it was off the back of that that we got it and we won it and, and, and it was fantastic. I mean, you, you laid different viewpoints from everybody, but that, I think the big mistake was the people that we hired to put the thing on, while having all the right qualifications and everything else, didn't do it in the right way. Mm. Yes, we got masses of publicity. Yeah. Yes, everyone says it was fantastic, but they didn't include enough local cultural types, yeah. uh, artists uh, in, in any kind of meaningful way. So they spent tens of millions, thirty odd million quid, in the course of a year, mm. and none of that really filtered through to anybody. Yeah. But it, it, don't that happen just with anything that's sort of public money like that? I mean, you know, in in well, in, can, in Rotherham where I live, you know, like sort of. Uh, it's the same people who tick the right boxes who get all the money from the culture. You but know, it was like. the exact opposite. He, the, the Martin Green ran the thing. He, he went on radio and TV right at the beginning when he first got the gig and said, I want to assure people it's not going to be the usual suspects. In other words, it's not going to be the people... That's a really insulting way of talking about people who have yeah. kept the artistic flame alive in yeah. the city. You know, who, who, with no money, with nothing, were putting on culture in this city yeah. and people were supporting it and going out. And it's through them that we won the thing. So instead of embracing that and getting, you know, London and saying, all right, you 30 artists there, we recognise you're living and working in the city. Yeah. Give us your best idea and we'll put it on. Yeah. You know, you've got a year to develop it and we'll put it on at the start of year two or something like that. Um, that would have then included everybody and everybody would have been, had a buy-in into it. And yeah. it would have been capacity building because you'd have been helping local artists out to perform on a bigger stage. And they just didn't do that. They just said, no, 
and they just put on what was essentially a big firework display for a year. <laughs> now, I had a fucking great time. Yeah. I went around with my kids for as many things as I could, and we had a fantastic time. But we were supposed to be City Culture for four years, and it was flat as a fire the week after the final event of 2017. Mm. Nothing happened for the next eight months. You know, so yeah. are we City of Culture for four years, or are we City of Culture for one year, and then a little bit for the next three years? Yeah. So it was... They, they, they should have done it differently. I'd, I'd like to have seen somebody sitting over the top of it, a Grayson Perry type, you know, somebody like that, yeah. who could have approved or disapproved of everything and said, all these ideas are great, you've incorporated local interests, a great spread, Martin, go make all that happen, please. Mm-hmm. And he could have checked back in in three months' time and said, there isn't enough of this, there's too much of that, why are you spending money on this? And just being, give it an artistic overview. Instead, what we did was we hired producers. And producers, I'm a producer, you know, I'm yeah. a TV producer, that's been yeah. great. But, uh, but producers and artists, yeah. and it should have been booked and put on from an artistic perspective more than it was. Mm. And what we ended up with was a shed load of very expensive events um, that were put on more to gild people's CVs than anything yeah. else. I mean, like, putting aside, like, what the actual content work. Do you think, all getting shitty of culture, do you think it had a positive effect on, it might be hard for you to say because you're like living here, but on the like sort of city's profile of, like outside, because you, you travel a lot, you know, like say you're a producer, you go down to London that, because you know. It did, but was it temporary? Yeah. You know, did we just buy a year's worth of good publicity? That's the question. What's the long-term effect going to yeah. be? Certainly, the, 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 you know, there isn't the people coming here anymore. The nighttime economy's dropped right off. Visitor numbers, I don't know if they're up or not, but they don't feel up. 2017, you, you, you had a lot of foreign voices you walked around, it was fantastic. Yeah. You'd bump into groups of Chinese people or Italians or whatever, and you're like, well, this is working, you know. Mm. People are coming. You don't, that doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. That's dropped right off. The area of the city that was developed in 2017, which was the fruit market, where all the events were put on and a local um, developer turned all the buildings into units and... That's died of death, you know. There's hardly anybody going to that. So all these businesses that moved there suddenly they can't find anybody to go and eat and drink with them mm. because there's no events to draw people to it. Yeah. The culture got moved out. There was a they, they closed down. Well, it closed down. I don't know if they closed it down. The the, the local venue that put on music and plays and all that kind of stuff mm. gone. Uh, there was a local art group had a gallery that got closed and it's been replaced with a fucking gym. <laughs> so they're trying to turn it into this little yuppie enclave that has yeah. nothing to do with the rest of the city. And so again, there isn't the buy-in from the locals. The locals are just going back down the avenues where we were 10 years ago. Yeah. I mean, yeah. as, as an outsider, like, sort of, all, I, all I know about all is, uh, like, culturally, is the Adelphi. Yeah. Right, I've never been. I was there I, last night. <laughs> yeah, I was. You know, it's, 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 that's the place people have heard of yeah. about a town, yeah. you know, like, right, so, really. the it's, uh, it's legendary. It is, it's, it's, uh, it, it, it's the most remarkable venue, and I've been in a lot of venues in my life, and it's the most remarkable venue I've ever been in. It's a, it's a, a terraced house. <laughs> it's a terraced house. It was turned into a, it was, the, 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 it was the, the, the house next door to it was the only house up the street that was bombed in the war. Mm. So it became semi-detached. <laughs> and, and, and now it's true. It's completely true. The house next door became a car park for the Adelphi. And they turned the Adelphi, somebody, I don't know who it was, turned it into a, like a working man's club. Yeah. Built onto the side a bit. And turned it into a front bar and a back room. 
and then when Jacko took it on in the mid 80s 1843 um, and that's what it was it was a working man's club and yeah. he started putting on he used to work at a local paint factory he got all his savings together bought the place and just started putting on local acts and then he'd, 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 he'd you go ask, you go talk to Jarvis, Co- Jarvis Cocker or Richard Hawley or the Lars or Cast mm. only place they're guaranteed to get a gig was the Holodelphi you know, that you could always get a gig at Adelphi because Jacko would put you on. You might not get paid much, but he'd always try and get you your petrol money at least. Yeah. Richard Ollie, I saw Richard Ollie at City Hall. And he said, and he stood there and said, we're past the Adelphi on the way. And I'd just like to say it was the only place that would give me a gig when I went solo. So, you know, that's the booking policy has always been staggering. Yeah. And um, it struggles for money. It, it, it's, but it's it's got, it's like last night, I went last night to see, it's independent venue week, so they had public service broadcasting on last night who last year played the Albert Hall and there they are in all in this stinking oh. club in front of about 120 oh, people are they the one who the other one about the coal industry yeah right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the one about moon landings and all this <laughs> right. um, it's, it's interesting what they do it's clever what they do you know it's a lot of clips sound clips and vision clips okay. that they turn into kind of oral sculptures it's very clever yeah is, um, it, is it clever or is it fun is it clever or what? Is it clever or is it fun? Because sometimes you go to like... So I, I wanna see, well, this is my argument last night. I, yeah. I want to see Chemical Brothers once uh, at Brixton Academy and they had like these mass like, video walls and all that, but it were essentially just two blokes pressing a button. and well, like, so. There's three of them play. There's drums. I couldn't quite see because everyone was in front of me. I think it's drums, bass and a guy who goes between keyboards and guitar, I yeah. think. They don't seem to do much singing. It's occasional bit of backing vocal and stuff like that. All the voices come from clips. My only issue with it, and, and they, were, they were great, it was very entertaining, is it was all a bit too serious. It was all a bit too sincere. Yeah. So sometimes when they, when they get it right, it's actually quite affecting. The coal mining stuff is very effective. Yeah, you know? it is, yeah. Well, um, but then other times it just seems a bit kind of intense and I, I wish there was a laugh in here. Yeah. And I came up with an idea last night. I said to my mate who we went with, Phil, I said, you know what, you could do this, but you could make it funny. Yeah. You get clips from like... 1970s TV shows and you do a song yeah. it's about that with loads of clips in but make it funny or do the theme tune from <laughs> you know um, George and Mildred yeah. but dropping clips and video clips from yeah, the programme and, and actually so you sit there laughing I even come up with a name for the group I said we could call ourselves the Heads of Light Entertainment yeah. <laughs> See, it, it just reminds me of like really, I, when I were about uh, 16, 17 I went to see Crass all right. And they used to like they used to do their show, but like everywhere they'd have like video installations of like uh, Auschwitz and like uh, Nagasaki right. and like you know sort of right. factory farming and all this. <laughs> and like you know, I sort of I was like I can see what you're doing, but this is not really yeah, a yeah. night out. You know, I'm there with my pine. Yeah. You know, like, so, well, it was it wasn't as heavy as that. I'm, I'm there wanting to listen to the hits, sing along a bit, you know. And there's like this like sort of cattle being slaughtered and electrocuted through the eyes and stuff. No, it was great. I don't know how they write the stuff, but it, 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 obviously a theme, whether they start off with a theme and build on it, or whether a theme emerges, I don't know how they do it. But I, I really enjoyed it. It was, it was a good yeah. game. But the point was, you've got a venue like that that's a terraced house, just up a normal old street. Within a couple of years of it starting, less than that year, the House Martin started playing there, and the House Martin signed their record contracts on the stage of the Adelphi, you know. But it enabled bands to come together. You could go there and it'd be a little cultural centre yeah. centre and you'd meet people again, you get your first ever gig a bit of Delphi. Did you play the Adelphi? Oh yeah, many, many times. 
I worked there for a while, I worked behind the bar. You know, you'd play third on the bill below Bogshed and a couple of others, and you'd learn your craft there. And, and it's a remarkable place. And what, when you look back at the history of it, you know, Oasis played there before they were big. Radio played there before they were big. Stone Roses played there before they were big. Green Day played there. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing, you know. Before they were, but that's the point, before they were big. So they were, they were go, the Jacko would put them on sometimes before they even had a single out, you know, before. Yeah. The Pulp played there for years. We yeah, supported Pulp, Pulp. Pulp played everywhere for we years. Pulp. You could, yeah, yeah, yeah. You no, couldn't get right. away from it. We played, we supported Happy Mondays there, we supported Pulp there, you know. And they all came through Adelphi, and it was, what I saw, uh, Stone Roses played there in front of 25 people. Two months later, the LP came out, and you couldn't get a ticket. I went to Leeds University. We had to sneak in through the library, you know. And yet, they'd been at Adelphi two months early with nobody there. And that's the difficulty with Adelphi is because Jacko's policy is he puts them on before they're famous. Yeah. You know, so it's real difficult to know what to go and see because you don't know what you're going to like and what's going to be big. You have to kind of trust Jacko and go down, really. Yeah. But it is the single most significant cultural venue in all. By a million miles, yeah. um, and so it's right that people know about Adelphi. People would turn up and be absolutely shocked when they go in, and people are. Um, I don't know what people would have in their mind, but it's a, it's part of the toilet tour, very proudly. You know, it's a, it's yeah. a sweaty, stinky little one-room club, mm. but it's the most magnificent place I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, anyway, to what you just mentioned. What, what's this uh, play thing then? Oh well, I'm, I've got a new to me. I'm, I'm or, is, or is it under wraps? No, 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 are you, are no, you no, not just, It's just it? been confirmed on Sunday, so um, uh, I'll try and keep it as short as possible. But uh, my main function, my main work at the minute is, a, is I'm a TV producer. Yeah. I mainly produce um, shows for Sky. I do Sky. It's just a golf show for Sky Sports, which takes up about seven months of my year. We shoot in summer. I edit and they go on TV between September and Christmas, and it keeps me mad busy for them months. Yeah. The rest of the year, I kind of haven't got much to do. I also do restaurant reviews for Yorkshire Post. Yeah. Another bit. I want to get onto that. Another <laughs> bit. But what what I've found is it's really hard to pick up the work between January and April. Because yeah. by the time I've got head of steam up with any projects, I'm back on the golf again. And I'm busy. So what I've decided to do is stop trying to get work that's based around filming and video and all this kind of stuff because it's it, what I've decided instead to do is do it on an idea by idea basis if I have an idea follow it through until it either fails or succeeds so I wrote a thing a little half an hour 40 minute monologue about three years ago mm. four years ago and I didn't do anything with it it just sat there and then I come back to it last year and I thought no yeah sure what do something with this rather yeah. than just sitting on it so I approached the local theatre group Ensemble 52 who put on a festival we have twice a year here called Heads Up Festival where they put on over four or five days they put on five or six different plays or things you know uh, cultural things uh, and I said come put it on that and I said yeah so that's called the Orchidian and it's about a murderous vicar just a monologue just one man on stage playing yeah. the vicar and it's him telling his tale, so that'll be match. So that'll be the first thing I've written that I've finished to go on stage. You know, I've got some other TV projects that I'm working on and writing. Mm. I've got another thing I'm trying to do, which is to do with kind of tourism in the area. That's a, a different, different yeah. And what, like I said, what I'm starting to do is follow the idea rather yeah. than follow. Rather than say I need to go out and get some video work, because <laughs> yeah. that's where my main money comes in. It's like yeah. no, if you come up with an idea, follow it through. Yeah. Until, it, until it dies or works. So 
this is just the first one. Yeah. I've just kind of gone, no, I'm going to put it on and it's on. Yeah. Whether anything comes a bit subsequent to that, I've got an idea for six of them. I'd quite like to pitch them. And I'm in the fortunate position of having contacts now in TV, so mm. I can go down and pitch stuff to TV, mm-hmm. you know. If I can get it together, I'll go and pitch it to yeah. somebody. I mean, like, I, I am fascinated by the restaurant reviews. Yeah. Right, because it's so, I see that such a powerful position. Because, you know, like, sort of, you know, uh, in, in, in local paper, they have theatre reviewer. Yeah. And stuff that's on tour only usually comes for three days. So, yeah, by the yeah. time they've reviewed it, like, nobody's, anyone who's going to see it's gone yeah, to yeah, see yeah. it already. Yeah. And it's the same with, like, uh, film reviews these days. People tend yeah. to know their. Th- I won't go much a superhero film. Even when Black yeah. Panther got brilliant reviews, but I didn't go and see it. People but, need restaurant reviews. But, but when like restaurant reviews come out, I mean, there used to be one in South Yorkshire called The Greedy Cow that were online. And I think, and I'm sure there was some big legal thing about them being too harsh about somebody oh, and they like, sued no, them no. or something. I, 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 I can't yeah, remember I, what happened. But, it, know, I, was just, I, I was really looking at that. You're right, but people do need restaurant reviews because it's got to be localised. It's got to be somebody, you want to read somebody you trust, their opinion, mm. because they've been right about somewhere else you've written about and they've been and gone, no, who's cock on about that, mm. you know? Uh, and it is a position of responsibility. There's four of us doing it for the Yorkshire Post yeah. because Yorkshire's so big. Yeah. You know, there's, there's me and three other women do it. One covers kind of York and Leeds, one covers North Yorkshire, mm. and then there's one that's kind of everywhere. I tend to do around here. And I got the gig by complete flu, and, and I was delighted to get it. And I've clung on to it with my nails, <laughs> you know, for the past. I think I've been doing it eight, nine years now. And, uh, and I love it. I need a, I do one a month, one pub, yeah. one restaurant. Um, it doesn't pay fantastically well, but it's very enjoyable. Yeah. You know, I get to go out. I try and take different people with me when I can, just because it's, I feel like I spread the look around. Mm. So I take people and, and we have a nice night out. And then I write an honest write-up afterwards. Yeah. And the feedback I get is very good. I get some complaints. Uh, my most one I'm proudest of was when I got a, a, a letter of complaint from the um, the vicar of Beverly Minster <laughs> I was going to have a badge bed so I've, I've upset a vicar <laughs> which I was very pleased about um, but it's, it's like I mean you, you've been doing it for eight years of that but I mean one thing about it's on, it's on the great is the internet any good debate really it's uh, TripAdvisor and, like the, and the rise of the like sort of modern review where uh, you know you'll get people you know review a, a place and like it's one star and you read the review and it's like oh I went on Sunday and they weren't up yeah, on Sundays no, and stuff like that you've got, to, you've got to steer well clear of TripAdvisor it's bloody awful unfortunately the way the Google listings where restaurants feel like they have to be on TripAdvisor yeah. when they ask me about it I say look just have a stock, stock reply sorry you didn't have a good time please come back again and we'll try better. Or maybe maybe you'll like it better. And just don't get into a conversation with them, you know, because um, you'll drive yourself up the wall. Yeah. I think it's different. Well, we're very fortunate. The Oxford Post, uh, like all newspapers, is going through a hard time at the minute. The restaurant reviews are the most read part of the most read part of the paper every week. Yeah. The magazine and the Saturday yeah. weekend paper is the most read part, and the restaurant reviews are the most read part of that. So we're given a free hand as long as we as long as we pitch in our reviews on time, and I, I'll take my own photographs for the as well. I'm not the world's best photographer, but I enjoy going back and mitigating with the chef about something that might not be right or wrong or asking yeah. questions. Um, uh, as long as we as long as he gets sent in, we kind of get protected. We get to choose where we want to eat, and 
um, and people read it and they are very grateful for the opinions you know, yeah. they might not always agree with them but I try and genuinely have a, a kind of down to earth attitude to I hear here and this is what I thought of it here's who I think will like it here's who I think will be put off by it here's who I think they could be doing it better mm. you know yeah. because I think if you just sit down and say I have this I don't know more than the chef yeah. you know so me telling writing down about all the different ways he's cooked it and all these amazing things you can't sustain that for a two page thousand word piece it yeah. just sounds too flowery and nonsensical so I tend to go into the you know where is it placed in the town what has it replaced why is it there what yeah. kind of audience will it pull because all yeah. them things matter to the fans well, they, they, the they, they matter to me more than because I'm uh, I'm not a big meal out person I'd rather go for a drink or just like go for something simple but when I do go out it's like I want somewhere I want to know about the place more than the food yeah. I, I just, I'll just have like you know yeah. Yeah, yeah. the basic stuff I mean, like my missus she loves yeah. like she'd love all that taste of stuff and all that business yeah, yeah. whereas for me, I think, it's just I think about increasingly, people have better cooks at home now, so you can cook something almost restaurant standard at home. A lot of people, yeah. you know, if particularly if it's a very bad restaurant. <laughs> um, but also, you know, you can just order a delivery or a just eat or whatever very quickly and easily, yeah. and that's going to be cheaper than going to a restaurant. So if you're going to go to a restaurant, that's going to be a bloody good reason to go. And and so you need to talk about the atmosphere, and you need to talk about uh, what. You know what is different about it what's exceptional about it what is the same about it as everywhere else yeah. and so I try my hardest not to be harsh but sometimes it's kind of like you know I've got to mention this because it was crap yeah. or I've got to mention this because you're doing it wrong um, there was a place up in all a French place a guy was from Marseille and he, he kind of it was more kind of African than French Yeah. And, well it was French with African touches and it was all right, it wasn't brilliant. But the guy who owned it served everybody at the tables. Yeah. And he kept nipping out for a fucking fag. <laughs> so he'd bring your main course of her with like a waft of Benson and Edges. <laughs> now me as a non-smoker, that was bloody horrible. It's the worst way to yeah. bring somebody a dish. Is that stink of fag all over you, particularly when they've just finished it and they've gone, <laughs> right at the end and you get a horrible, you know, yeah. nicotine stench. And it's like, oh God, now I don't want to eat that because it stinks. And I put that in the review and he was really offish about it. He said, oh, fucking stop smoking then. <laughs> you know, that, it, I didn't like it. Yeah. Didn't it. I've only, I try and avoid all of us. I've, some of the, I've talked to somebody in the last about what our policies are. There isn't a policy yeah. that comes from the paper. We're left alone. But we all try and do the same thing, which is avoid chains, because they don't need the publicity. Yeah. Um, uh, and try and find places that are doing something interesting and using local ingredients if possible you know yeah. um, it's difficult around here East East Riding is probably the least sophisticated culin, culin, culinary than the other ridings yeah. doing much in South Yorkshire though is there it's pretty barren I mean, I'm not, it's like so I'm not a great meal out person if you go to Sheffield and like you know yeah. sort of if you if you go up to I hate to use the word authentic, right? But if you go up London Road, yeah, yeah, like you yeah. like you you go up there, or like if you go down the areas around Wicker, and you want like authentic kind of Kurdish food, or yeah, you yeah. want authentic yeah, yeah. like Chinese food, or you want to, you'll get it. It yeah. won't be in the like very swish surroundings, and you won't get the in crowd in there, but you yeah. can get like absolutely brilliant <laughs> food. Whereas like there is stuff happening round and about where I mean I, I went. Uh, like in Kellam Island area where like it started off with a couple of real ale pubs 
then there's like all oh, lot of students, lot of kind of beardos move around here, and then like so now there's eateries opening like you know we bit up market, and I, I went in uh, the, like the food all opened like the cutlery works, and I like were down there last week and like went in, and they bill it as street food, and then like you can't pay cash, you know, like at the bar, yeah, yeah. and then you go up the road, and there's the church, which is a. Uh, I'd recommend anyone go there because it's just the, like the most bizarre place I've ever been to. Because it's like it's uh, it's run it's owned by the bloke uh, who's the lead singer of Bring Me the Horizon, who I believe are big with the kids. I've never heard of them, right? And uh, it, it, you, it's, it, it has his shop, which is drop dead clothing. Right. Right. Then it has a make no bones vegan food. Right. Then. Uh, Coupled with that, obviously there's uh, retro 80s video games. They've got like Street Fighter, Ninja <laughs> Turtles, and all that. Then they've got uh, like so they've got like PlayStation pods. What you can get in and lay down in and play your yeah. PlayStation. And then to like obviously because it's called the church, it's got like kind of a Sistine Chapel ceiling. It's got all like Mexican religious iconography all over the place. And just on your way out, you can stop at the in-house tattooist as well. Okay, where's the chef at? Yeah, Callum Island, just near Shell's. Oh, Callum Island is. I was yeah. I was there the other week. Yeah, so well, the, the, so like, I'd recommend people go there. I didn't eat the food there. It looks very nice, you know. But I'd recommend people go the, there just because it's like it's the, different. The kind of issue is that the, the four of us who do the reviews, none of us live in South Yorkshire, and and I don't think we've got our finger on the pulse much. So the, the previous editor, we changed the editor last year. She was always saying, "Can somebody go do Sheffield, Rotherham, somewhere on there, Barnsley?" Because we don't. I bet she weren't saying you got to do Rotherham. <laughs> I, I, but I've looked. I've looked online because that's like the only way you can do the research, yeah. really. And I really struggle to find anywhere that looks. There's a few, yeah, yeah, yeah. but not a mass amount. But it's the same with East Yorkshire. I tend to do little forays into the Dales and Scarborough yeah. places like that. So I contact the other reviewers and say, "Look, I'm going to do it here. Was it on your list? And if it won, I go and do it. You know." Mm. Because um, I, I struggle to find enough round here to write about, um, uh, without repeating myself. You know, it's difficult to, to, to go somewhere different every single month. It's not many, tw- twelve a year, but you find you soon news them up. You know, so but it's a great, it's, it's a wonderful thing to be able to do. It's, oh yeah, it's, it's you know long may it'll it'll disappear. You know, I hope the paper stays around forever, but. You know they've got to cut costs, so yeah. presumably it'll go in house sometime, and they get staffers to do it and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean it is a worrying thing, isn't it? You know, like sort of, I mean, the Yorkshire Post and like the local papers that are associated with them. Yeah. Like you know, some of them. I mean, the, the Sheffield Stars. All yeah. The same company, isn't it? You know, like I will, I will always bow to the Yorkshire Post as like a quality read. You know, like so, yeah. Some some of the some of the other titles. Yeah, but but it's it's good to have local newspapers. The, I think there's what's nice about the Yorkshire Post as well is it seems to be the politics seems to have turned around in the last couple of years. I think mm. I've noticed a, a bend away from the old Tory. It used to be very much a Tory paper, and I think yeah. it's turning away from that. Yeah. I, know, I know the editorial policy seems to be swerving the other way. Yeah, well, good. I don't know if it's swerving the other way. I think uh, I mean it's general theme that I always bang on about. I just think that like the old Tory way just ain't there anymore. Same as perhaps the old Labour way ain't there anymore. And, Remember, yeah. and whatever side you're on in uh, the Brexit thing, and I know you're very much on one side. Yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. Uh, like I'm on what, the side of the set of same people. <laughs> we, we, whichever side you're on, like you know the old like sort of Westminster and the tra- traditional 
political parties, none of them have covered themselves with glory whatsoever, you know. Like, and no, so, they haven't, and, but, and I think, there has to but I think a, the Leave side have covered themselves in the most shit. You know, <laughs> I think that's, you know, that's plainly true. Um, yeah. So go on, what else do you want to talk about? Right, well, should we leave it no, there? No, 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 you've got all right. I've got, I mean, somebody, I've got another 20 minutes. You're all right. All right. I'm meeting Angus from the local paper here. God, the old Daily Mail's absolute shit. Fucking I'll absolute cut that. Shit. I don't give a fuck. They know, it's, they know the shit. Um, you know, they're just, they're just, the stories are all shit and they go after clickbait. And again, there's the thing. The restaurant reviews in that are fucking appalling. Mm. It's, I read one last week and it was, <laughs> we arrived at 7.30. We were sat, who oh, gives a fuck what time you got there? <laughs> What are you doing? That's just filling out the word count. No one cares yeah. what time you got there. But no one cares whether you're sat by a window, whether, unless there's a point to it. No. Unless you were sat next to a naked bloke, you know, who's a member of staff. I don't give a fuck where you sat. It's no difference to me. Yeah, but they all like clickbait. I mean, so, uh, like, the Sheffield star is terrible for it. Their entire, like, uh, you know, they, they do some good stuff, but their entire online output, there's... Fantastic reporters work there, like Lucy Ashton and George Tor, who like really cover local politics like really well. And then there's like sort of their clickbait, and because you, you get like sort of five different things, of like you know, sort of you'll never guess what's happened, at like you know, you'll never guess what's happened in Pittsmore, and it's just nothing's happened in Pittsmore, but they want you to click there, or you know, there's a police incident. That's the classic one they do all the time. There's a police incident in the city centre near Carver Street, and you click on it. And it says, the story is, there is a police incident in the city centre near Carver Street. More details as they come. And they have the, like, Google, like, like photo of Carver yeah, Street. Yeah. You know, that's actually got Carver Street written down the middle of the street in white from Google. <laughs> you know I, mean? I was reading a great piece the other day about why, why the newspapers have ended up the way they have. And it was fantastic. It was all about newspapers used to turn an enormous profit. You know, you yeah. could get, uh, your investment would be retained, apparently, with a 40% return. So it's kind of like, against normal investments in things, apparently it's under 10%. Yeah. So the big companies invested very heavily in newspapers yeah. right before newspaper readership collapsed because of the internet yeah. and stuff. Um, but they were still expecting their massive return. So the only way to do that was to reduce the staff. Yeah. You reduce the staff, you reduce the quality of the paper. And then you're not selling a quality paper anymore, so all you can do is go for clickbait and a yeah. handful of staff. And so that's what we've ended up with a completely fucking, it was a glorious regional newspaper. It's ended up being an absolute pile of fucking shit. Um, and, and you're never going to solve that situation. It's only going to get worse and more extreme. Just last week, in the last couple of weeks, they seem to have started reporting all suicides off the Umber Bridge. They showed a particularly unnecessary CCTV image of somebody who just tried to jump off the Umber Bridge, a woman with a young kid. Now, the previous policy was you don't talk about or sensationalise any jumpers off the bridge. Yeah. You know, and they seem to have just fucked that clickbait. You know, let's do it. You know, you, we'll show you this piece of horrific thing, but you've got to click on our website to do it so we get some money. Yeah. Fuck off. Yeah. But it, and people say, well, you know, but, uh, no, I'll tell you what, fucking look at Private Eye. Private Eye uh, have increased their readership. And why have they increased their readership? Because they're sticking print and the quality journalism. People still want their news delivered. People still want to know what's going on. And you can do that if you do it in a quality way. If you do it in a really shit, shoddy way, then you're never going to sell any papers. Mm. If you do it right, you will sell papers. Private Eye is the best example yeah. of that. Yeah. It's all about selling papers, isn't it? Because uh, 
like, you know, I, I, I used to write for internet sources, you know, I used to write some quality stuff, and like, so you find out that uh, you're getting as many clicks for your little, like, sort of nibs, you know, like, sort yeah. of, that you're just churning out, and usually you can go out, do exclusive content, do quality writing and everything, and then you'll get, like, sort of, as much, like, from a, from yeah, a yeah. nib with a decent picture, yeah. with an headline, you know, like, sort of, like I, I, you know, I used to write about the fight game. I could like sort of go go to a gym, meet somebody, like talk to them in depth, write it up like fantastic, and then like sort of I'd do another thing and I like I'd rip somebody else's article off, like sort of credit them, but just like you know and sort of stick a picture of Conor McGregor on the thing, get like yeah, sort yeah. of five times as many clicks on that. And but there's no reason winning, why, you know? if you look at something like BBC, your big popular Strictly Come Down is Mrs Brown Boys. Pay for the little BBC Four documentaries yeah. to be made. I don't think and that's there's no reason why made. you can't have both. There's no reason why you can't have the popular articles that do well, and that allows the quality journalism that might be read by a fifty yeah. amount of people. But you've like, got to find the balance. It's like I, I were at work the other day, and I were two people I work with, all, all kind of all right, and that, and then one of them started talking about Mrs. Brown's boys in a positive way, you know, and I, I was waiting for them to, like, you know, crack and, like, you know, so I'm only joking. But, no, they, they really did like Mrs. Brown's voice. And then the, the other person started joining in and they were talking about their position where they were going to sit for the Mrs. Brown's boys' live yeah. show and stuff. And it, it, and it would, it would disturb it, it, it. It basically explains Brexit. No, but it, <laughs> that is a positive point of Brexit. Surely, surely even an ardent Remainer like yourself must know. When you read these stories about Mrs. Brown saying Brexit threatens Mrs. Brown's boys, yeah, but like because like it's a cross border well, show. There's always going to be there's going to be some kind. That's of, the Brexit dividend. There's always going to be some friendly fire that's going to be you know, in your favour without a shadow of a doubt. You know, but one but the point I'm making is is that the, the hugely populist stuff can exist and help fund. You know, the international sales of that stuff uh, and, and the viewership of it will help fund the small stuff. I and there's no know, reason why know, decent newspapers can't achieve the same thing. Yeah. Unfortunately, they've all gone down the wrong path. You yeah. know, they've all gone down the path of chasing the clickbait. Yeah. On, on, on that, though, like, you know, especially with the BBC, I mean, I, I spent in a year in America when I was in my 20s. I used to listen to national public radio, which is, like, you know, very basic. You know, and like the, so that's their equivalent of BBC. And, like, you know, they have a kind of public TV station as well, but it's very, very basic. And, like, so uh, I'm paying my X amount of money a like, week to fund Mrs. Brown's boys. Or, like, you know, I am t I'm turning into a great old codger. You know, like, so, because uh, I've got, like, now I've got Netflix, you know, and I pay for Sky Sports and stuff. And I sit at home and, like, you know, whenever, like, sort of country files on and they start coming over and over, yeah. I'm like, that better be a drone and not a bloody helicopter. <laughs> My money and net better not be... Or, like, somebody comes on and makes an appearance I, and, and or does, does something I'm like... I'm really, I'm really... The way that the way that the BBC have been weaponised by the Tories is just disgraceful. You know that that idea of you know the they should be everyone now needs to have an opinion on every penny that the BBC spending, and however much we're paying the presenters should be a matter of public interest. No, fuck off. You know that's you're wrong about that. Mm. It, it's, we've got to be able to trust our significant institutions that are doing the right thing. Mm. Not saying there shouldn't be scrutiny, but that level of yeah. scrutiny is about. 
picking fault and weaponising yeah. it so that we can then turn around and say, well, it's the BBC, they're all leftists. Yeah. Like, no, they're not. Yeah. I, it's they're not just that not insane stories. I, th I think when somebody else is going to do it, it's like, you know, BBC, like uh, ITV got The Voice. Yeah. Like, off the, you know, I don't see no reason why BBC are doing, like, The Voice if ITV want to do it. It's like with, with football. Like, I listen to football commentaries on local radio. Like... Talk sport aren't interested in covering, like, say, Rotherham United or Chesterfield yeah. or Donny Rovers, but they are interested in covering, like, uh, Test Match Cricket, they are interested in covering uh, Man United, Chelsea and that. So why are BBC doing it when somebody else is doing it, like, to the same well, standard? I mean, at the same time, Man United are, is, is somebody's local team. You know, yeah, but they're London. Yeah, but but they'll have access to it via Talk yeah, Sport yeah. or like Eleven Sport or whoever yeah. like is broadcasting I see, I see it. Where you're so from. you know, I, I love that thing they did. Uh, it was a while ago. Now it was maybe a couple of years ago where they took so many people who were complaining like fuck about the BBC and, and just turned off all their BBC services for a day and just took them all away. Mm. And suddenly they didn't know. They had no telly. They had no radio. They couldn't check the weather. You know, they didn't get any traffic reports. Yeah. All these things that they didn't realise that they used all the time. Yeah. Recipes on the fucking website. Yeah. And, and all of them were screaming by the end yeah, of the day. Yeah, I use the website a lot. Yeah. I, get, I get me value for money out of websites. Just, just, for, just for weather and uh, checking when horse racing's on is like Everyone, probably worth me some Apparently they were all screaming by the end of the day. You yeah. know, and it's like, yeah, and that costs you whatever it is, 36 pence. Or 86, or whatever the fuck it is a day, yeah. I don't know what it is. How's, how's the local radio around here? Because BBC Radio oh, Sheffield's run like a load of awards this week. The difficulty is, I think the difference between local and national radio is the local people are all just very, very keen. They've all got good jobs and they want to keep them. Yeah. So nobody says boo to a goose, which is a great shame, I think, really. Um, when I complained like fuck about city culture, I've talked to anybody about where I thought they were going wrong. The biggest people that gave me a voice were the national radio stations. Yeah. I was on, I was on um, Radio 4 um, and Radio 5, you know, national stations. I was on front row on Radio 4, able to talk about what I thought, where I thought they'd gone wrong, and that's it, how many, oh, how many, four million people or something like that, you know. Mm. And I was able to debate Martin Green live on Radio 5. And, and yet the local TV and radio, they wouldn't just wouldn't talk about it. They weren't allowed to uh, any kind of negative view yeah. at all, because they were fearful that would, they would get their access to city culture events cut off. Yeah, like, you've got to be bigger than that, lads. You know, you've got to be able to. We as a city and you as our representatives in the media have got to be able to stand up to anybody in the city, whether that's the police or the council, or certainly fucking city culture are working for mm. us. You know, you, we've got to be able to turn around and say, we're going to put you on radio with somebody who completely disagrees with you, and we're going to have that debate. And I found them really toothless during that year. We've got managed to get very little proper debate. We still haven't had a proper debate yeah. in this city about whether a city culture actually worked. You know, the, the, the presenters with a load of jacked statistics from the university. Um, bless them, I love the university, but them statistics were bollocks that they presented us with. And we still even haven't got, they haven't given us proper broken down accounts for the past three months of the city culture year they're just like vague figures and this is like somebody got paid £120,000 to be laid off it was a redundancy payment but what the fuck was that who were you paying that much to to get rid of what they just had the name the person I'm meeting Angus in a minute from the paper he is here. he uncovered it in the accounts and he just went I don't know who that is I don't know who 120 grand went to 
who was getting paid enough to get that as a payoff? You yeah. know, that they could avoid, they could afford to do without. So it, it, there was no transparency, there was no debate, everything was shut down, and it was one of the things that led to, again, this dissatisfaction. You didn't feel like there was any way, and we're all, to use Bill Hicks's phrase, we're all pygmies poking the yeah. elephant with toothpicks, you know. <laughs> there was just no way to fight any of it. And yet, the, where I was, it, it was like, no, we won't put you on radio, we won't put you on radio, but we will put you on national radio. And it's like national radio have got big enough bollocks to be able to say fuck off. Yeah. You know, you, you know, we'll, we'll put on whoever we like, saying whatever they like, yeah. and you can't stop us. Around here, they were like, oh no. Yeah, right. but that, in that same way, anything you know, like sort of in any town or city, you just have like this. Uh, I don't want to call them like local establishment, but you know what I mean. You know, yeah, like yeah. we're uh, the local paper, the local council, the local yeah. like BBC, and like if there is an independent and all that. They're all in it together, and it, it happens to an extent where, you know, on, on a more trivial level, you know, like, so uh, they'll never criticise the local football clubs or sports yes. teams too much because they need the access. Yeah. They need, uh, like, in, in Sheffield and, like, Rotherham, there's been, and Doncaster, there's been massive scandals with local government, and there has been some criticism, you know, there has been some good work done. But there has been some criticism. There, it, once again, it were like you know the Rotherham scandal it with the national media. It yeah, would, it yeah. Would, and like you know, to, this like, is a big, this is a big although, although we hate to give them credit, with the Murdoch press who uncovered the Rotherham yeah. scandal, yeah, you know, yeah. it, were, it were Andrew Norfolk in the yeah, Times. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's without a doubt, it's a big problem. Is is you know, in fact, making any kind of mark locally, which which is where social networks come in. Yeah, got to be said, a lot of good work gets done on social networks. There was an artwork. It's, a, it's, a, it's an example, it's not, maybe not the best example. There's a, a piece of folk artwork that's been in Hull for 40, 50 years called Deadbod. You've yeah. seen it around Deadbod. Which was only I've, known, I've heard of it, I've got no idea what it is. It was only known by about, I would say, probably around about 20% of the population of the city knew about Deadbod. Because it was painted on one of the sheds on the dock on the way yeah. out. So you only ever saw it from the river. My uncle told me about it and he'd taken a photograph, so I'd seen it and I knew about the story of how it was sprayed up there and stuff, painted up there. But I'd never actually seen it in person. And then a whisper got out that they were going to demolish the sheds. And so everyone was on social media, Facebook and Twitter, complaining like fuck about it, to ABP and saying, you can't do this, you can't do this, it's dead bod, you know. Mm. And within a few days, it was on radio, it was in the paper, and there was a campaign, and it got saved. ABP went completely, said, they held their hands up, they were very fair about it, they said, mm. we didn't know that it existed. Yeah. You know, we, we didn't know what it meant to people. It was just a shed with some graffiti on. No, that's not what it is. You know, it's the, the boats going out, when they're coming home from sea, they used to say, I'm just a dead bod, put the kettle on. You know, yeah. it matters to this maritime history yeah. thing. And so we managed to save it. But what saved it was social networks. Yeah, but in, in that though, that kind of thing, it favours people who are adept at social network and that and it, it favours certain things, it's like yes, for, it for example, it's not, it's not right for everything yeah. absolutely, you know like when I were I ran for like Mayor of the Sheffield City region earlier this year and uh, if from uh, social media and what people got at me about, if if you like, ask me like based on social media what is uh, the most important issue to the people of South Yorkshire, I would say, uh, cycle lanes in Sheffield. Because yeah. they had an organised thing and it were like, you know, mainly young, mainly professional, maybe mainly people who use the internet all the time. 
sort of did a concerted thing to like bombard all the candidates yeah, like yeah. we need a like health commissioner we need cycle lanes we need like safer cycling we need this and that yeah. uh, so that becomes the all pervading issue yeah, yeah. and and it, it can like cloud you to what's actually happening and in, in Sheffield also like you know the tree campaigners yeah and the tree at, thing must have been a big thing on social networks yeah they, they have been like you know sort of fantastic at it and it is an issue I am broadly supportive of them but it's it's become kind of the number one go-to yeah. issue no, whereas it. there's far more pressing okay. issues I for think, me I think it's, I'm not saying it's be all an end all but I do think it can be used as like an oyster shucker social network to kind of get in the you know the joint at the back of the oyster and just poke it all yeah. last year there'd been no events on like I said we're supposed to be shitty culture for four years yeah. it got to about April last year 2018 and it was the first warm Sunday of the year and I went for a walk down the fruit market and there was I didn't see anybody I walked, walked on the fruit market the old town and I think in the course of an hour I can't remember exact number it was, it was some, I saw something like six people or seven people at like six seven o'clock on a Sunday night it's, like, it's sunny it's warm this place would be fucking evening and so I put it online saying what, what, where's all the events gone Where, where's all the people meant to be drawn in we've had nothing for four months and nothing announced are they doing anything you know it got a bit of traction. I went on radio and talked about it because I said, will you come on and talk about that? Said, yeah, well, you know, it's not really to do with me. I just made the point. Yeah. But it got that. It got enough traction from me writing two or three tweets that I was on radio and then the, the lasso was taken on Absolutely Cultured was in the radio station the next day announcing an event for August, which they hadn't planned to announce for weeks after that. And it was like, no, get down there quick and get it announced. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Yeah, it was like, I need to come in tomorrow to announce an event. You know, <laughs> so that was it. I, I'd forced, with a series of tweets leading to a radio interview, I'd forced them to announce something they weren't planning to announce. And yeah. it, was, it, it, it just, I got the point of the knife in the oyster and just managed to turn it enough to let a bit of air in. Yeah. And I think it, you can do that with social media, and I think that's important. It's not as important as having a proper media, yeah. proper radio and TV and newspapers, yeah. I mean, but what, it's useful. Yeah, I mean, what I try to do, like, cause everyone says, like, you know, social media is an echo chamber and whatever. Yeah. I try and, like, sort of follow and, like, monitor, like, monitor, it makes me sound a bit like, kind of, you, you try and keep a broad Yeah, thing. try and keep a broad thing, but, you know, like, sort of... I don't. I, I, don't. I decided I was writing this wrong and I fucked the wrong ones off. <laughs> I do I mean, like, sort of... I had, to, I had to like I, I stuck with Delhi and Paul for a long time <laughs> Jeez, did you see the interview last week god man that, I mean it, it's just an example of like you know so uh, I am outspoken and I like to be blunt and like stuff but when I'm on the rare occasions I do get an invite to go on the radio and that I know my stuff yeah yeah and like you know so I have got a position and like you know I've got I've got fundamental beliefs underneath yeah, that yeah, that yeah. underpin everything yeah. and when I say something I believe it and I like sort of and I, I, if someone's got a counter argument I've got something to give back right yeah. I don't I think it's uh, it's the danger uh, not so much social media because but it's just a product of, maybe it's because no there was a great tweet about it where somebody said He's an example of what's wrong with the school system that's the exactly what I was going to say it ignores you you just think you're right you know, and you don't feel you have to explain yourself. You just—it's like the Reese Mock thing. If he says it in that patrician tone enough, you assume that he must have something going on behind. Yeah. And whatever you pull up, he has an answer to, and he's that very confident, Etonian kind of way. Yeah. And you can't fact check quick enough to trip him up. 
Um, and it's the same with Dellingpool, except the absolutely, you know, there's a three-pronged attack on him. And in the end, he just had to sit there and say, I don't know. But he would have felt shame, first of all, the next day. No. You know, he'll, he'll have seen that as some kind of victory. Yeah, it, but it, but to people like him and, like, you know, all these, like, commentator-type people, it's just kind of a game. And they just have the same people and all that. And, like, you know, so when I'm, like... I, you know, I got into politics because like, I fundamentally believe in some things and I saw mainly I saw stuff going wrong and I thought that none of the major parties were addressing it. So that's why I got involved. And like, these talking heads who you see like, on the show, it's all the same people over and over again. I'm sure that that's sort of the left or right, whichever one from, is sort of the way they blow. But I don't think they've got the fundamental convictions about it. And it's just a game and it is just sort of like, you know, all shake hands I, I, I would, I would, I kind of see where you're coming from. I do think there's a lot more conviction politics in the Labour Party. I think a lot of those people have come from trade union backgrounds. A lot of them have come up through councils. And I think, um, I think a lot of them do genuinely believe that they want to try and push some kind of socialism yeah. into government. I think with Tories, I think what happens is they all get sent to boarding schools and private schools and they get any kind of sense of goodness or righteousness buggered out of them, you know. And I think they're taught from a very young age, you're my child, but you can fuck off all week. I'm paying for you to fuck off and get buggered and become kind of just this emotionless monster. And from the ages of like eight and ten, they're just extracting a vengeance on the world. You know, and it is when you look at that picture of Cameron and Johnson and and, and them the yeah the Bullingdon, Bullingdon group, yeah. picture, and it's just like my turn to be prime minister now. Now it's my turn. I've got more yeah. money than you. You know, um, yeah, I, I, it's I, a horror show. It really is. And I, I think these, what we what, what public school system done is for centuries has create a class of dangerously damaged people who end up running the country yeah. I think we're being run the country's being run by very seriously damaged people I'd, I'd, I'd agree with the basics of that but I think we're me and you part ways on this is I, th- I used to believe the Labour Party were the vehicle for change and I was brought up yeah. in an area where you know that were the orthodoxy and that and over the years and like you know especially we kind of over the last 10 years Mainly, we events at a local level. I have lost all faith in the Labour Party, I agree, yeah. and, and I don't. I don't see even even if I still was a believer. I don't like my analysis of the way politics are going. Is I don't see there being a Labour government or a Labour. I, I, I can see there being a, a Labour government with a weight of majority yeah. that cannot enact I, the I, policies I, I, that they're espousing at the moment. I don't see the Labour Party as an effective vehicle for change. I see where you're coming from, and I agree with you to an extent. I think what's going to be massive and what's going to be really important, and I, and I honestly believe this, is young people. I think young people are going to come through with an entirely different attitude to people our age, and people in the 60s and people in their 40s. I think the kids who are in the 20s, coming up to 30, I think the, they have got and they will have an utterly different attitude to society, to sexuality, to employment, to housing, to everything. Because where of them, where, I'm 50, it was 50 a couple of months ago, and I think I'm probably of the age where I'm going to be in the last generation or so of house buyers who remembers full, unemploy, full employment, who remembers unionisation, who remembers this stuff. And the kids now, they don't even remember Thatcher. Mm. You know, they don't remember the world that existed before at all. Whereas I've got vague 
muscle memory of the 70s and stuff like that and I think they're just going to come through with a sense of everything has to change everything has to be done differently I I agree with you but I think that the way the Labour Party is is like sort of you said people coming up through councils the structures that the Labour Party exists in in council chambers and stuff I think that like the young idealistic people coming up the Labour Party is not the vehicle for change because they get crushed by the bureaucracy and like sort of the favourites get picked I agree with you on that I must have